it's NBA Finals time. And so maybe that has uh, gotten into my heart and gotten into my mind a little bit. I saw you brighten up back there, Josiah. Yes, indeed. Um, and so it's just, it's just on my mind, guys, but I'm, I'm reminded of a story from the 2018 NBA Finals. That was when the two teams, or at least two people that I wanted in the NBA Finals were actually there, LeBron James and Steph Curry. They're not in this NBA Finals, so I'm not as excited about this one. But in 2018, LeBron James was with the Cavaliers, and Steph Curry was with the Warriors, and Game 1 had a very interesting end. J.R. Smith was uh, on the team, and at the last 4.7 seconds, I believe, they had some free throw shots, and the Cavaliers were down by one. So J.R. Smith isn't taking the shot, but he's on the sideline, or not on the sideline, but there to get the rebound if the ball does not go in for the Cavaliers. The Cavaliers, down by one, have a chance to take the lead if they make both shots, or to at least tie the game if they make one. First shot went up and in. Then the second shot goes up and out. So there's the wrestling match between the Warriors and the Cavaliers for who will claim this basketball and possibly break the tie, because now the game is tied at 107, I believe. J.R. Smith beats Kevin Durant for the rebound, which is quite a feat because Kevin Durant is tall. He should have had that rebound. He missed it, and so he gets the ball. It's right there on his own side. All he needs to do is put that ball right back up. Easy layup, not necessarily easy. He is being heavily guarded. But a layup opportunity, I mean, that's, that's where you want it to be right there, in your hands, right there underneath your own basket. But what does he do? He takes the ball and he runs back to the three-point line. LeBron James was also wide open for a moment. But by the time he gets to the three-point line, neither one of them is open. And LeBron is yelling at him, look. The clock, the time, you are running out our 4.7 seconds. And he ran out the clock. Went into overtime. The, the Cavaliers, I believe, made seven more points in the overtime. So they ended the game with 114 points. And the, the Warriors ended the game with 127. What a rough ending of the game one for the Cavaliers. So the question was afterwards, JR, did you know how much time was on the clock? What were you doing the reason you ran out the time to claim the lead? There were actually several different stories. One, LeBron tried to call a timeout, but the rest didn't give it to him. Two, J.R. Smith says, hey, I knew that we only had 4.7 seconds. I saw LeBron going for the timeout. And I just was, uh, it didn't necessarily work out. And the coach said, well, J.R. Smith wasn't quite fully aware, but, I mean, if he, had, if he had tried to go for the layup, maybe it would have gone in, but who knows if the layup wouldn't have, would have gone in. Maybe it would have gone out. And I say a shot that isn't put up does, has zero chance of going in. He was on the clock, and he did not know what to do in the moment. I think about that when it comes to um, today's message, which I am calling, You Are on the Clock This Season. You are on the clock this season. With that, um, thank you, Nick, for reading our scripture for us. One of the passages that's been on my mind, and I've actually mentioned this the last couple of weeks, I think, in our call to worship, is from Ephesians chapter 5, which Nick read for, read for us. And he says in verse 16, redeeming the time. And that phrase has been playing through my mind a lot over the past several weeks. Redeeming the time. What does this mean? And guys, I've learned it. This morning, Abby and I, we woke up and calmly got ready for church. After a fitful night of sleep, 
got ready, cooked some oatmeal. It was just like perfectly ended right on time. The, the meal was ready. I laid it out on the table. Josiah was with us. I called him in. We got to watch as the sun was just coming through the trees, through the windows, eat our oatmeal together, drink our lattes that Abby made for us and just sip them together and just chit-chat on the couch for a while. And then finally, when it was about time to get to church a little bit early so that we would have time, we looked over at one another. Didn't really want to turn away from that sunshine coming through the window, but we said, it's time. Let's go to church so we're there early. We grabbed our stuff and calmly walked through the, cl- through the door, got in the car, and made our way here. That was our morning. Was that your morning? Abby's looking at me right now because she says, that is quite a fabrication, sir. <laughs> our morning was nothing like that. <laughs> I did put on some oatmeal, and it started to overcook while I was rushing to get ready upstairs. And then I rushed downstairs, and I was like, well, the bottom of this oatmeal is not going to be edible, but we'll eat what's left of it. And we scrambled to have some of that oatmeal. Abby had to grab it quickly going out the door. And I was the last one getting ready. I said, guys, I'll be ready in a flash. I got this. I wasn't quite ready in a flash, but we did make it. Not necessarily as early as we wanted to make it. So you might say, well, Calvin Todd, what are you doing preaching a message about redeeming the time? And clearly, sir, you need to preach to yourself. That's what I'm going to take this morning to do. (laughs) redeeming the time. So first of all, there's something interesting that he says here. I want to read back a little bit before um, where Nick picked up in Ephesians. So I want to back up to verse 8 of Ephesians 5. If you're with me, you can turn there. Ephesians 5, we'll hop into verse 8 because there's a context that I want to get um, around this idea of the days are evil. So listen for that phrase to come up and what's the context around it. Ephesians chapter 5, Starting at verse 8, Paul says this. He says, for ye were sometimes darkness. So he's talking about darkness, and that used to be us. We used to be darkness, or to put it a different way, we weren't God's people. We weren't walking with God. We were in darkness. Ye were sometimes darkness, but now, now, as the people of God, now are ye light in the Lord. So he's got this picture of darkness and light. And then he says, walk as children of light. For the fruit of the spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth. Proving what is acceptable unto the Lord and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them for it is a shame even to speak of those things which are done of them in secret. But all things that are reproved are made manifest by the light. For whatsoever doth make manifest is light. Wherefore, he saith, awake thou that sleepest. And he's talking to us. Wake up, you who is sleeping. Awake thou that sleepest and arise from the dead and Christ shall give thee light. Now, why does that light make a difference? Growing up, and even nowadays, I I, I like to move around my house without using too much electricity. So if it's like semi-light or semi-dark, and I'm like, I can navigate my way, I'm going to navigate my way, guys. I'm going to save that electricity. I don't know what it is. I just don't like to, you know, I just don't want to flip that light switch on. So I, I try to make my way. But even as a kid, I would say, you know, hey, can I figure out how to get around my room when it's totally dark? Am I the only one that played that game? I'm not the only one. Yeah. So you can kind of like walk around. Okay. I, I know the dresser's here and the chair is here. And then maybe you forgot about the Legos on the floor. And then you say, this game needs to be cut short real fast. We need light so that we know where to step. And also so that we can move with confidence. Christ says, I have given you light. Awake thou that sleepest, arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. Now, what do we do with this light? See then, verse 15, that ye walk circumspectly. See that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. Now, that's really interesting because the circumspectly there, that word 
in English really is two parts, circum and spect. Circum meaning like look around, around. Spect means to look. So look all around you. Walk with an awareness of what is around you. Walk with an awareness of where you are. See then, because Christ has given you light, you now don't have to grope around in the dark and hopefully you remember where things are. You have light. So walk looking around you and know where to go. Know how to move. Walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. And that word fools is literally the opposite of the word wise. So um, the Greek word for wise is sophos, I believe. It has to do with wisdom. And the word he uses for fools there is asophos, which means not wise. So literally, that's, the, that's what the word there means. So he says, walk circumspectly. Don't walk as somebody who is not wise, but walk as someone who is wise, someone who has understanding, and specifically redeeming the time. Redeeming the time. And here's the phrase, why? Because the days are what? Think about that. What does he mean when he says the days are evil? Some of us could say, well, I don't have to think very far before I go, yeah, these days are really bad. I would rather not have these days. I would rather not live through these days. I was talking with a friend who was going through a very difficult time and is still going through a very difficult time. And I said, I don't know why God has called you to go through this. But you are in a season where it's hard. These are evil days. And the temptation for my friend is to just be done with those evil days. I don't like them and they've gone on too long. I'd rather move on. Move on from the life that God has given me. Is that what he means here when he says these days are evil? The word there for evil means full of labors. Do you have a day that's full of labors? Come Monday morning, I need to get to work early because at about 8.15, I'm going to have about 45 seventh grade students who are going to dash into my school ready for our summer missions trip. And they're going to look for, what are we doing? Loads of energy. And I'm going to say, come on, guys, take a seat. At least I hope. I hope I'm going to be prepared when they run in. But I have in my mind, okay, I know that they need where they're going to sleep and they need to have those directions by those leaders that are going to lead them into those places so that they can set up their sleeping places and then come back and find out what teams that I'm going to put them in so that then we can have our team building games and I need to have all these resources for our team building games, some of which I have not put together. So later on this afternoon, I've got to work on that, right? And so then we'll have our team building time and then after that, we're going to go over guidelines and then after guidelines, then we need to have these three different places where we're going to take our kids and are we ready for our transportation for those places? I don't even know where the one van is that we're going to use. So can I, the day is full of labors. Do you have days that are full of labors? That's a part of what he means here when he says the days are evil. They're full of labor. Also, he says the days are full of annoyances. That's, that's another meaning for this word evil. Annoyances. Are your days full of annoyances? I'm not going to make eye contact with the moms in the room. And annoyances. Are your days full of, wow, this came up, and I really would rather not have that come up in my day. This really didn't work in my favor. Um, and I shouldn't call out the moms and make the kids feel bad, because Abby goes, you know what, we don't have any kids in the house, but you yourself, Kelvin Todd, can supply enough annoyances for one household. Are your days full of annoyances? Redeem the time, because the days are full of annoyances. Also, the word there, evil, literally just means bad. (laughs) The days are bad. Do you have days that are just, this was a bad day. This day did not go as I wanted it to go. Do you have bad days? That's what he's talking about here. We have a lot of labor. We have things that annoy us and that get in the way. We have bad days. Basically, you can put it this way. The day does not naturally flow as we want it to do. If it's going to go the way I want it to go, I've got to wrestle that day down. Otherwise, the time will slip by, and just like J.R. Smith, those 4.7 seconds are gone. 
and the game doesn't flow naturally the way you want it to flow. Redeem the time because the days are evil. Wherefore, be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. So think about that. Think about your life. Are your days evil? To varying degrees, do you experience that toil, that load of labors, those annoyances, just bad days? That is a call then for us to step out and redeem the time. So let's talk about redeeming the time. One, um, I was talking with Josiah. He was helping me put my, put my uh, message together. And we're just contemplating this scripture and all the ways in which we can think about redeeming the time. And you think about, like, whose example do we look to? And we thought about Jesus. By the way, it's important to think about Jesus when you think about what to do and how to live. If Jesus doesn't come first to your mind, well, I recommend that you put him first on your list of people to consult about how to live your life. So that's where our mind went. And I say that because I've been spending, like I said, a lot of time over the past several weeks thinking about this idea of redeeming the time. I looked up a devotional on redeeming the time. And this guy has written a book. And it's a good book, overall, I assume. I guess I haven't read the book. I only listen to the devotional, and he gives little excerpts here and there. Um, and he has different hacks that he recommends, right? And it's very helpful. Okay, here's, here's how you treat your email, all right? Here's how you structure your day. Here's how you make sure that you prioritize rest. And these things are helpful. Um, but I didn't think it was the fullest picture of what he means here by redeeming the time. Oftentimes, we, when we think about redeeming the time, there can be some wrong ways or incomplete ways to think about it. I may think about my life as a candle, right? So if I put a candle up here, it's got a long stem, and then you got, you got the wick. We all know that that candle has a life. And at some point, if I light it, it will burn down till it gets to the very end. And then when there's no more wax, candle's gone. And that's our life. That is not an inappropriate way, I think, of seeing our life on earth. But I do think it's incomplete. God does tell us, hey, number those days. Teach us to number our days so that we can apply our hearts to what? Wisdom. So yeah, we got to number it. How much wax do I have? And in scripture, he kind of says, we get three score no, three score, what, two score, what, what was it, three score and ten? That's, I guys, I'm, I'm losing track of what a score is. But 70 years, hey, and nowadays as we're living in America, we, we tend to get a little bit more. Well, praise the Lord for that. We can play with some house money and have a little bit more time. But we all have a time, whatever that is, right? And sometimes our candle gets blown out early when there's still life left that we could live. But... While that is an appropriate way to see it, it's not the way in which I'm inviting us to see our lives now. Um, Another way in which we could see life maybe differently than I'm necessarily talking about it here, that all of life is spending. So I get a certain amount of days. How am I going to spend this day? Spent it here and spent it here. And that's true. And I am kind of leaning in that direction But what I think is missed when we think about days as just being spent is that there's also a cultivation of life, right? Um, I think about the illustration, I think that they say Abraham, Abraham Lincoln gives about chopping down a tree. If you give me the task of chopping down a tree, before I just go out there and take that axe and start chopping down the tree, there's something I need to do with the axe. What do I need to do with the axe? Sharpen it. So I'm preparing for the task. So I'm going to commit some time, not really to the chopping, but to make the work better, more effective. There's a cultivation of the axe for the task. Or you can see it like, um, like a field, where I prepare the field so that then there can be a crop that rises. There's a cultivation of our life. I want to make sure that we don't miss. 
But I am going to somewhat lean into this idea of spending, and I'll explain that um, a little later. But redeeming the time, I think it's important to look at the life of Jesus. And we thought about several things that come up in Jesus' life. One of them is when Jesus was 12, I think it was, and his family, for the first time, goes to Jerusalem, and they have a time there worshiping. And then Mary and Joseph head back out of the city, but is Jesus with them? He's not. Where is Jesus? He's in the temple. And so the family, they're looking for him. After they realize, oh, we've gone for some time, and he's not around here, they ask everybody, where is Jesus? They don't know. So then they come back into the city, and they're looking all over for Jesus. And then finally, he's in the last place they find him. By the way, things are usually in the last place you find them. That's, that's, where, that's where it is. Um, so they find him, and they find him in the temple. And in the temple, remember what, remember what he's doing. What's he doing in the temple? He's talking with the elders. He's in conversation. There's some teaching and some questioning going on there. Jesus is asking questions. He's also, I think, responding to questions. He's kind of launching. And Mary goes, why, why did you treat us like this? What's going on here? And Jesus says, didn't you know that I must be about my father's business? It's about time, mom. Didn't you know that? And yet, does Jesus stay in the temple? What does he do the next day? The Bible says he returns with his parents and he is subject to them. That's, to me, very interesting, because Jesus looked at the time and he goes, hmm, trip to Jerusalem, I'm now pretty much of age, it's time to get to work, my father has a business for me to do, I'm going to get to work on that. And his mom says, not necessarily time. And Jesus puts it to the side and is subject to his parents. Now, we could go really, and probably spend a long time having a conversation about what all went on there? Because you kind of go, well, Jesus is always right. Mary, might be time for you to just go, well, Jesus, do whatever you think is best. Which, if I had the baby Jesus, I'd be like, absolutely. You can't go wrong telling him, just do whatever you think is best, because he's pretty much always going to be right. But he is subject to his parents. He's listening to them. He's following them. It's a time in his life for him to follow. And that's what he does. So Josiah and I talked about that. Josiah also mentioned um, the wedding at Cana when Jesus is now truly fully grown, right? And he's at this wedding, and his mom's at the wedding. And as a matter of fact, let's go ahead and, and turn there. I believe that is in John. Guys, when I was putting this message together, I didn't write down all my passages, so you're going to have to bear with me as we, as we circle around and find it. But I believe it's in John chapter 2 or 3. Yeah, chapter 2. We start there at the first verses of John chapter 2. says, And the third day there was a marriage at Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. By the way, listen for this word time. The mother of Jesus was there, and both Jesus was called and his disciples to the marriage. He has disciples at this time. And when they wanted wine... The mother of Jesus saith unto him, They have no wine. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, what have I to do with thee? Mine hour is not yet come. There's a time reference there. And that time reference is the word hour. Mine hour is not yet come. It's not time. Jesus is saying to his mom, there is a time, and right now this is not the time that you think it is. And his mother saith to the servants, whatsoever he saith unto you, do it. And there were set six water pots of stone, and the manner of the purifying of the Jews, and containing two, three firkins apiece, Jesus saith unto them, fill the water pots with water. He follows what his mom wanted at that moment. Which again, 
you could have a long conversation about that. And pastor preached a message on that probably some months ago. And I would advise, you can go back and listen to that message. It was very, very helpful. But you have here this conflict in Jesus of, I have work to do. And there's a time for that work. And he's somewhat in conflict with his mother about that time. She has a perception, and Jesus has a different perception. Isn't that your life? Or does your life, is it different from Jesus' life? We're like, okay, it's a time for this, and everybody around me knows this is what the time is for. My wife knows, my kids know, right? They know, don't bother dad right now. Dad's working, because it's working time. And they just, they just work with you, right? That's the way that kids do. That's what I think. So that's, that's what I've been told. That kids always know when it's time to work and they leave the parents alone. Am I wrong? Guys, they've been tricking us, Abby. That's not the way it works. Jesus' conflict here is one that we all face. Where people around us will have different demands of our time, different expectations of what we should be doing, and we have to discern what is right to do. Wow. By the way, this is just heartening to notice that Jesus goes through that conflict and he has to navigate that. That's cool to see. Don't miss that. It's not always easy and that's okay. But we do need help. We're going to get there. But I do think it's important for us to notice that Jesus faces the same kinds of conflicts that we face with time. By the way, there's another story where Jesus is in a house and he's ministering, he's teaching. Right? And he's got disciples all around him, people ready to hear what he has to say. And then some people show up outside the house. If you remember the story, right? they tell him, hey, look, outside of this house, your mom, your family, is waiting for you. Do you remember how Jesus responds in that situation? Does he stop and go, oh, hold up, folks. Got to go. Take care of home stuff. You got to go now, go to my mom. Does he break off what he's doing at that moment? No. So Jesus in navigating this does come to a place where he has to say, my place now is in this ministry. I cannot break from this for what you're drawing me to, for your expectation on my time. He understands what to do in that moment question that comes to me is, how did Jesus understand? How did Jesus figure that out? And the Bible doesn't give us too much as far as in the moment how Jesus said, okay, well, here's my priorities here. Boom, 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 boom. Mom's been dropped to here. Like, that's not what the Bible communicates to us. But there is something in him that says, I know what to do now. I know what is appropriate And I think some clues are how Jesus talks about it. He says, I do always those things that I see my father doing. He knows what God is doing, and he says, that's where I'm going to be. Interesting. So, and if I didn't make my points very clear, the first point was the days are evil. The second point is really just redeeming the time. But the third one really leads me to a question. And that is discerning your season. Discerning your season. I've moved away from the word time and directly now into the word season, and that's intentional. Discerning your season. There was that other passage that Nick read, and I'm going to read a part of it again. It's very familiar to us, and if you want to turn there, Ecclesiastes chapter 3. But discerning your season. How can you know what season you're in? How can you know what season you're in? I think about it this way. There's men mentioned in the Bible who the Bible says about them that they understood the times to know what Israel ought to do. That's kind of what I'm wanting us to think about. How do we understand our time? How do we understand our season to know what we ought to do? Ecclesiastes chapter 3, starting off at verse 1, says, To everything there is a season. And the season, the word season here is different from just the word time, right? It's a little bit um, 
adds a little bit of color to that word time. I usually think about time and when, um, you know, how do I run the clock? Well, if it's 11.50 right now, then I have about 45 minutes still left in my sermon so that then I can be done at, say, 12.35, and then we're all good, right? Everybody will have to redo my expectations. But we think about time as a clock, right? I have a a watch on me. This watch is going to tell me what time it is. It's not going to tell me what season it is. That's not what it's meant to do. And it's definitely not going to tell me season in the sense of life seasons. But that's how I want us to think about it. Or to put it a different way, Jesus Christ, when he was 12 and he goes to the temple, he's in one season. And he goes back home and he is subject to his parents for that season of life. But there comes a point at which Jesus gets his disciples. He launches his ministry. He's in a different season. And when his mom and his siblings are outside the house, he says, this is not that same season. It's a different season of life. So my question for us is, what season are you in? What season are you in? To everything, there is a season. And look at this, the, the, the variety of seasons that he mentions here. And a time to every purpose under the heaven. A time to be born. It has a time. Abby and I went back to Michigan um, this past week, and we spent time getting to know our new niece. How old is she now? Is it, is, it, is it four weeks or is it three? She says three. Guys, man, oh, man, have you ever seen a baby that is just like just a few weeks old? <sighs> My goodness. While we were there, like she opens her eyes, right? And I'm looking at her going, yeah, yeah, you see me? And her eyes just wander this way and that way and that way. Because what has she not learned yet? She hasn't even learned to watch with her eyes and to fix her eyes on something and to recognize a face. She's so young. That's incredible. There's a time to be born. That's a beautiful thing. There's a time to die. Earlier this year, we had a funeral, family funeral, for one of our grandparents. There was a time. And that time was a time to die. And that is good and okay. Actually, just a side note, I wasn't even going to go here, but it's interesting. I was reading one passage. Where was it? It was in our Bible reading, Nick, and I put the note in there, and I can't remember now who it was talking about. No, it was talking about um, the son of Jeroboam, I think it was. And the son of Jeroboam, God has pronounced his judgment on Jeroboam as the king because he's king and he's not leading the people to worship God. He goes, huh, Jerusalem's over there. People are going to go worship over there. So I need to make a calf over here. and I need to make something for people to worship here so they don't go over there. And he basically leads the people away from worshiping the Lord. And God pronounces a judgment on him and says, that's not cool. And you're about to be done. First, though, I'm going to take your child. Or maybe it wasn't Jeroboam, it was Rehoboam. Either way, guys, now, now I'm way off. You see how much I need to learn my scriptures. The king that was evil has a son that God says, I'm about to take his life. You might go, well, why? Why is he going to take the life of the king's son? And the reason that God gives, he says, I've actually found good in him. So I'm about to take him. That was really different, a different way for me to see death. Because I usually think of death as like, okay, if God's going to take somebody's life, especially early, it's a punishment. But in that passage, he says, I'm about to take his life because I have found good in him. Now, again, we could talk for a long time about that. But I want to at least think about this. There is a time to die, and that is not always a bad thing. That's for God to decide. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant. You want to plant something so that then it can, it can grow. But there's also a time to pluck up that which is planted. We have some plants in our yard and Abby's been going, okay, what is this plant? What is this plant? What is this plant? She was asking Ms. Lidberg the other day, what are, what are these plants? I want to know, should they stay or should they go? And basically like, yeah, well, if you, if you don't like them, can pull them up. There are sometimes things in our lives that are not likable or not good. And it may be appropriate. It may be a time to pluck up those things. 
Do you have some of that in your life? It's time to pluck up something. Verse 3, a time to kill and a time to heal. Time to kill and a time to heal. Let's continue. A time to break down and a time to build up. A time to weep and a time to laugh. You ever seen somebody tell a joke at the wrong time? (laughs) And they're the only one laughing in the room for just a little bit because then they realize, wrong timing. That was me growing up, by the way. I was always trying to tell a joke at the wrong time. And my, my, my parents would just say, look, son, read the room. Read the room. Don't just come in telling jokes. It's not always appropriate, Calvin Todd. They were trying to teach me some wisdom. There's a time to laugh. And then there's a time, there's a time to weep. That's something that's also very interesting. Sometimes people don't like crying, right? I hate crying. I get mad when I cry. I have friends that got mad when they cry. I don't understand. Why would you get mad when you cry? If it's appropriate to cry, then just go ahead and cry. But some people just hate, hate crying, and they get mad. Have you ever seen somebody who gets mad when they cry? Maybe it's just my, some of my friends, guys. There is a time to cry. What time is it? What season is it in your life? He continues, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together, a time to embrace. And I love this wording here. A time to refrain from embracing. That just drips with wisdom. It just does. A time to refrain from embracing. When Abby and I started dating, her dad was like, hey, there's appropriate times. Now is not the time to embrace Calvin Todd. There's a time to refrain. And then there was a time to embrace. He goes on. A time to get and a time to lose. Actually, no, I will go back to that passage. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. I have a friend right now who's trying to navigate that. He's pursuing a relationship. And his question is, What's it time for? How did you, Kelvin Todd, navigate this time when you were in this stage of life that I'm in right now where I'm trying to pursue a relationship? He's looking for wisdom about how does he live at this time. And I think that this verse also speaks to that. There's a time to embrace and there's a time to refrain. And a lot of times in our relationships, we can get ahead of that. What season are you in? A time to get and a time to lose. A time to keep and a time to cast away. A time to rend and a time to sow. A time to keep silence and a time to speak. I saw this sign once that said, ask your doctor if shutting up is right for you. (laughs) I said, that would be a helpful one for me at times. Maybe it's just right for me to be quiet in a certain moment, there is a time to keep silence, and then there is a time to speak, a time to love, and a time to hate. Have you ever seen somebody who didn't know how to hate what they should have hated? Has that ever been you? Where something came up and you were like, this is a moment where I need to respond with hate. but you hesitated. And you missed that moment. There is a time to hate. There are certain things that should be hated. The New Testament puts it this way. You can only serve one master, not two. One you will love and you will cling to, and one you will hate. We should hate sin. We should love our Lord. There's a time to love and there's a time to hate. A time of war and a time of peace. All of these things, right? In this list, he has started off at the beginning and he said, to everything there is a season. 
And if this is true, then to us there is a season. And the questions we're asking ourselves should be, what season am I in? Because that word season is what he's talking about in Ephesians. That passage that Nick read for us in Ephesians, redeeming the time because the days are evil. That word time is not the word chronos time that my watch keeps. That word time is the word for opportunity or season. So we need to redeem the opportunities. We need to redeem the season. Or when you think about Jesus Christ, when he is at the temple and he's like, my father, I have to be about my father's business. And his mom says, no, come back with us. And he is subject to them. He discerns that this is an opportunity and this is a season for me to be subject to my parents. And I thought that time would never end when I was a kid, by the way. I was like, man, oh, man, I got to wait till I'm 12. It never comes. And then I got to be 12. And then some folks were saying to me, you know what? Well, Jesus was 30, you know, when he really started his ministry. That's when he really goes off on his own. So you really got to wait till you're 30. And I said, what? I got to wait till I'm 30? It never comes. And I'm never going to get to rule my own life, make my own decisions. And now I'm 35, 36. I can't remember now, guys. Can't keep track now once you cross 30. The time has come. And that's different. And by the way, can I speak to the young people in the room for a second and say, that's a very, very different time. Do you really want that time to come early? Because with that time comes responsibility. With that freedom comes responsibility. And the decisions you make will ride on yourself and you will answer to the Lord for that time and what you did with that. What did you do with that opportunity? To take it back to J.R. Smith, he had the ball in his hands. Whether he liked it or not, he had to make a decision and the pressure was on him and for the rest of the whole next season and honestly still on his life, he still bears that story about how he made a wrong decision in 4.7 seconds. about what he did with that time. He has to answer. And that's the way it is for us. So young people, do you want that ball in your hands early? Do you know what to do when that decision is yours and not your parents? Because God will look to you. Know your season. What season are you in? I think that it's a human conflict to wrestle against the season that we're in. I think that's a very human thing. Think about that for a moment. Whatever season we find ourselves in, we tend to wrestle against that season. As I was just talking about for kids, we wrestle against the season of being subject to our parents. I just don't really want that. I want to make my own decisions. And then we get to be adults And we get that responsibility and we go, man, oh, man. But if only I could just have parents just to take care of me and I wouldn't have to make these decisions and I could just go out and play and not have the the weight of the world on my shoulders and wonder about this job that I need to keep so that I can make money. And is this the right job for me to work? And can I transition to a different job? And if I do so, then what are the consequences to my family if that doesn't work out like it should work? Am I moving to the right neighborhood? Is that a blessing to my household? Is that a blessing to my wife? How do I make sure that I navigate things so that in retirement I am set well for providing for myself in the future and possibly for my family? I would rather not have that. And we wrestle against the season that we're in. I would rather be in a different one, a different season. But that's not life, and that is not wisdom. See then that ye walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, redeeming the opportunity, redeeming the season, because a season has a purpose, and we are to live in that season. And that's what Christ did. And that's what then we are invited to. I want to pause just for a moment to give you a chance to contemplate your season. 
Where does God have you now? He says, Christ shall give thee light. Let Christ turn the light on so that you can look around you and see what season you're in. Take note. This brief moment right now in the message is probably not enough time for you to take to fully contemplate that. But take some time even after. What season am I in? And if you're married, I I really encourage you to take some time with your spouse and ask, what season are we in? Because it's very important that we are in that season together. Because we can be on two different pages. I may think it's one season and Abby might think it's a different season. But God has us together. We are now one. What season are we in? Let Christ turn on that light. And that light also is applied to the fact that like you used to be, we used to be not walking in obedience with him. We used to not be in fellowship with God, but now we are children of light. So let's walk as children of light. Wake up. Christ shall give you light. By the way, receive that. That's a gift. What he's saying there is a promise. Christ shall give you light. You need to know what season it is. Look to him. He's not trying to leave you in the dark. You can turn that light switch on. Don't have to grope around. The light switch can come on and you can look around and go, I know. I know what season it is. Just like Christ knew what season it was. What we're talking about is really a question of wisdom. Once I know. Right? I believe that wisdom then is knowing what to do, but also doing it. Knowing what to do and doing it. And in this context, doing it at the right time. So what we're asking the Lord for is wisdom. God, would you give me wisdom? What, what season have you called me into? And I want to lean into that work. Different seasons call for different tasks. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, I believe Paul talks about, are you single? There's a certain way to live in that season. There's certain priorities in that season. Then he says, are you married? There's a different way to live in that season. Has God called you out of that marriage? We have people here who spouses have passed away. Paul speaks to that. There's a way to live in that season. And this is all of life. So as I move toward the end and start to close, wisdom is knowing what to do and doing it at the right time. It's really interesting to me. It stood out to me as I was thinking about all these different passages that we have about time. And so many of them mention wisdom. Lord, teach us to number our days so that we can apply our hearts to wisdom. This Ephesians passage says, see then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time. Colossians passage says almost the same thing. Be wise, redeem the time. I think there's even a passage in uh, later on in Ecclesiastes where he says, remember your creator in the days of your youth while the evil days come not. Notice that connection to the Ephesians passage. Because the days are evil while the evil days come not. Our time really does apply to this idea of wisdom and especially winning back or winning back, redeeming our time from being lost, wasted, destroyed, etc. So I'll take it back to J.R. Smith 
and LeBron. LeBron knew the season. And for that season, he had labored all through the preseason, season, playoffs, and then in that year, 2018, to the finals. Those 4.7 seconds were not just 4.7 seconds. They were part of a season and completing that season well. Every single moment on the clock connects to a larger season. And within that season, LeBron made many decisions, right? There were times on the court where he needed to push through. There were times in practice where he needed to push through. There were times where he needed to just say, it's time to go to bed and get rest for my body. But everything was for the context of the season that he was in. And our time needs to be allotted appropriately for the season that we are in. You a father, your children have priority. The season that you are in, how do you structure your time? Because that time of fatherhood, I just hear about it. I'm just, from what I'm told, it goes. And then it will be gone. Redeem the time. Redeem the opportunity. Redeem the season. And that word redeem is like, a, is a budgetary kind of a word. It actually comes from the, the word agra. Agra? Agora, where it was the marketplace. So you go to the marketplace because you're going to buy stuff, and you're going to go back home and be like, look what I bought. That's kind of the idea with our time. I'm going to put in my time so that afterwards I say, look what came from that time. And as a father, we're going to look to our children and go, look what came from this season. As children, we're going to look to this time and go, look what came from this season where I was being educated, where I was walking with my parents. Look what came from that and the relationships I have with my parents. As a teacher, I look at that and I go, well, the students that I taught in their preparation for their next year and their preparation for college and their preparation for life, look what came from that. I'm taking something from the marketplace of time and I'm going, look what came from it. That's what we are to do, which is exactly, I think, in that sense, what LeBron was doing with that season. And it's exactly what I'm inviting us to do as we go from here. Ask the Lord, what season am I in? How will I redeem? This season and opportunity that comes once and afterwards is gone.